This is Eric Luton, pastor of the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. The ministry of Ellerslie endeavors to once again see triumphant Christianity stride upon the stage of time, to see the church of Jesus Christ built strong to stand immovable in these times of sinking sand. We hope this podcast is an encouragement to your soul. If you would like to stream live or visit us in person or even support us financially, please go to ellersley.com to learn more. So I'm going through a series that I actually expected to go in a different direction. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's called The Revival of a Nation. And I thought I was going to be teaching on more of corporate national revival and how it's worked throughout history and just sort of the mechanics of it. And even though my first message begun to, began to hint towards that, I actually haven't gone in that direction, but it's been very profound for me because in a sense I would say it's, it's soul level and church level revival, which I would say is the instigator for cultural national revival. And so how this is going to go, I really uh, don't put rules on myself of how a series needs to play out. And if any of you know me, you know I never did series uh, anyways, and so definitely shouldn't have rules to to the series that I do. But in the last year, uh, I started doing series. Uh, if, If you listen to Daily Thunder, I had 93 episodes in my World War II series. So I've gotten really serious about series. Uh, but I don't think this one's going to last for 93 episodes. Uh, but I, I do have some thoughts moving forward of where this is going, and it's deeply moved me. I mean, I would say yesterday was just one of those days where I had an aha, as C.S. Lewis would call it, an aha moment, where I saw something more clearly, even in my own soul. We're all walking through something, and though we're staring at it from different angles we're all sort of encountering the same fog bank. And it's different than what I've walked through in the past, which is oftentimes individualized trials, where my bank account may not affect you, or this accusation against me you may not even know about, and so you're fine and you know, skipping along, but I'm having to deal with this direct attack over here. The difference that we're dealing with, because we have those things still in our life, right? We have our individual trials and challenges, but then we have a corporate challenge. And we're all sort of grappling with it right now, and some of us more successfully than others. And I have a significant burden. I mean, to, to call it an acute burden is, a, is an accurate statement for it, to see the body of Christ strengthened in this time. I feel like this is our hour, and yet I feel like many in the church just want to stay in bed and sleep it off and hopefully wake up in a few years and this will have all gone away. And that is not how the Christian appropriates trials. We are to embrace our difficulties. And there's a tendency, and I noticed it early in my marriage, that when things would start to get difficult, I wanted to zone out. And it was like a self-protective measure. And say my finances, like I couldn't pay my bills very easily and my bank account was low, I would just rather not think about it. And what was interesting is I had to discover that that doesn't solve the problem, is that not thinking about it doesn't actually help, but at the same time, there's a wrong way to think about it too. And so if you just think about it and pine away at it and be anxious over it, that doesn't solve it either. And so there's a Christian way to appropriate things where, yes, this is happening, sure, but this is the truth, the heavenly truth, and I'm going to take that and I'm going to cover that situation in that. I'm just going to drench it with that syrup of truth so that this 
reality, this difficulty in my life is coded with the realities of heaven. And therefore, with faith and with hope and with triumph, I can move through and deal with the issues in my life. And this is a growth process that we all need to go through of when we are weakened by the circumstances in our life, we know not to just pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but to go into the heavenly storehouse and gain that which we need to address that issue in an earthly sense. So here's a technique, a approach, and this is what I'm going to say is the biblical approach to dealing with the circumstances we find ourselves in, the cloud bank, the fog, the anti-Christ movement that is coming against us full force right now, the flood of evil that seems to have no mitigation, no, no, nothing to push it back. And this is what the devil's saying. It's like, well, you don't have a future and a hope. There's really no future for you, so you might as well give up. I mean, what, what's the devil's proposal? That we just sort of get into the fetal position and suck our thumb? You, you thought about that? Because that's actually what is being presented to us. Don't dream. Don't have any designs for the future because really there's not gonna be any possible future for you anyways because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. You know that that's the exact opposite of truth? Because you are a believer in Christ, you have a hope and a future. In fact, you have a brilliant one. It's a beautiful one and it's an eternal one. And so what we need to do is do the uh, jujitsu flip. And since that's, that's sort of a nod towards Dwight in here. Uh, do the jujitsu flip on this circumstance and see it converted into something that makes us smile as opposed to something that weighs us down. So this is called laughing at the future. John 15, 11. Now, six times before John 15, 11, in the same chapter of John 15, we're going to have the vine and the branches. And it's going to talk about this idea of abiding and abiding in the vine, and unless this branch abides in the vine, and then it needs to continue to abide, or remain is the other word that is used for it. And so six times this word meno is going to be used, and then you're going to see Jesus reference the same word almost like in a summary point here in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you. What things? He's talking about abiding. You and the Father and uh, him all being one. and We're being knit together and being brought together so that his life is actually in us and so that we can bear much fruit. And so these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. There's that word remain, may abide in you. And that your joy may be full. Jesus has come to this earth and he has given us something. He's given us a hope and a future. He gave up his life so that we could have his capital L life. And with that life comes an incredible hope. Comes an incredible joy that is robust. And it's like a buoy in the midst of the most tumultuous waves. And it lifts us above whatever storm is brewing down below. It lifts us above it so that as Christians, we can always see straight. We can always have a song in our heart. We can always leap for joy. We can always praise. Always. Always. Without exception. In other words, we could brainstorm. I could have a little chalkboard up here and I could say, okay, guys, let's come up with some some points of time, some different circumstances in life where maybe rejoicing would be impossible, right? Let's brainstorm what these are. And we could come up with all sorts, and ironically, this last year has had a lot of them in it. And yet, there is never a reason 
with the kingdom of heaven and what has been supplied to us that we need to go underwater and start suffocating in these circumstances of our life. But there is always that lifting grace that brings us up above the circumstances so that we can see, so that we can think clearly, so that we can rejoice, so that we can actually sing even if we have chains on our wrists. So one, one of the things I said in the prayer time right before this is I said, joy is one of those fascinating things that has been given to us by God. It's a supernatural gift. Many of us think it's a, it's a response to the positive circumstances in our life. Well, that's an earthly joy, and it's temporal, because once those circumstances change, then that joy can flee, flee away. However, what we have received from heaven is not conditional upon the circumstances of this earth. Just think about that. A non-conditional or an unconditional joy that has been entrusted to you, which means that no matter what is happening around you, that buoy is always there in your soul to lift you up. And the only way that that joy can leave you is if you choose to give it up. If you forsake that joy and say, well, I don't really want that joy, or I can't have that joy, I don't deserve that joy, well, then you're giving up something that God has given to you. But if you hold on to it, in whatever circumstance, you recognize he has given you joy. Ellerslie humor, it's a real thing, okay? And we've joked about it many times. Here's my subtitle to this. It's an acquired taste, a lot like caviar. Uh, so I, I'm upgrading it by saying, you know, caviar, I actually don't, I've never eaten caviar, but it sounds disgusting to me. But, so I don't know that I should liken it to that. But that's like exquisite taste buds know how to appreciate caviar. That's the way Ellerslie humor is. When, when new students, a new crop of students come, Eric starts cracking some really good jokes, and there's a lot of seriousness in the crowd. And then over a semester, what you'll see is that the, the crowd starts to catch on. Because I think that the rest of us, like Nathan, Philip, uh, we, we all sort of have the same sense of humor. I th it's sort of like you hang out with each other and you start to laugh at the same things. And not everyone appreciates our jokes. Nathan, can you attest to that? Uh, they don't quite get it. And then as time progresses, they start to get it. And so I'm going to liken that to something. And that is God humor. And now most of you may not think that God has a good sense of humor. He, he might seem rather stately and somber and straight-faced. The more you get to know God, the more you realize he has a great sense of humor. Who invented sense of humor in the first place? Okay, we have been created in his image. And I don't know if animals have a sense of humor. Have you ever had that thought? You know, when you look at your dog and he seems to be smiling, or he does something mischievous and he sort of looks over and has a little smirk on his, uh, his face. And you're thinking, do dogs have a sense of humor? I don't know, but I do know that humans do. And we got it from God Almighty. And yet, <laughs> and yet, we don't always pick up on God's sense of humor when we first enter the kingdom of heaven. And as a result, we can be rather straight-faced when God's cracking some really good jokes. And he's having a lot of fun, and he's training us to be strong and to actually learn to laugh like he laughs. But we're not laughing. We're very serious in the midst of the trials. Boats filling up with water, and he goes, hey, guys, I'm going to take a nap right now. And all of us are so serious about that. It's like, what's he doing? The boat's filling up with water. It's like, you do know that that's God, and he is playing you guys like a fiddle right now. You see, we don't see it. If you were standing on the outside and you knew God, 
and you like knew his sense of humor. You're like, you've been his butler all you know, these years. And then you see him come to this earth. It's like, oh, this is gonna be fun. And you see everyone taking him so seriously. And then you see him lay down and take a nap in the boat. You're chuckling from the distance from the shoreline going, oh boy, I can't believe he's doing this to them. And yet you're laughing along with them. He's got this, guys. It's in his hand. It's under his feet. He is in control. The question is, do we know that? Do we believe that? Have we caught on to God humor? Because when you catch on to it, it really adds a lightness to your life. C.T. Studd said it this way, if God who sits in the heavens can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do exactly as their father does. So as we know from Psalm 2, Bad things are happening. I mean, kings of this earth are taking their stand. I mean, there's a conspiracy. It's an antichrist conspiracy against God and his anointed one, which is the Christ, the Christos in the Greek or the Messiah in the Hebrew. It's Jesus. It's a conspiring against it. It's an antichrist movement on this earth. Oh, no. The one enthroned in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. So, as C.T. Studd says, hey, guys, if God who sits in the heavens can laugh, his children on earth should be loyal enough to do exactly as their father does. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to have a little fun here, and the reason I'm going to do that is because sometimes you just have to break out of the funk. Okay, now, I remember Leslie and I had a miscarriage back around 14 years ago now. Almost, yeah, it's very similar at time, 14 years ago. Extremely difficult thing to walk through. If any of you have walked through that, you know exactly what I mean. And sometimes you go into that fog bank or that funk where you're, you know that life isn't all bad, but for right now in your vantage point, you can't remember why it isn't bad. You're just struggling, you're reaching, you're grasping for things that would brighten your day, and, but you just can't seem to find them. You're walking in a dark room. And... I remember I was walking down the hall and Hudson was supposed to be taking his nap and Hudson would have been, you know, around two. And so he was in his crib. He's supposed to be laying down, right? But instead he's in his crib and he's singing a song. And it's, let's go fly a kite up to the highest height. And I remember in that moment this stark, this stark contrast that was created between the childlike mind and my adult mind that was overthinking everything. And I remember the gift that that was to me. It's like God in and through my son saying, hey, son, let's go fly a kite right now. And instead, it's my two-year-old that has a clearer hold and a clearer sense of perspective than I have. You see, he's in the same family. He just lost a, a, a sibling. Even though he doesn't fully comprehend it, he's immediately thinking different. It's like George Banks as opposed to Mary Poppins. There's a different perspective or a different lens on the same circumstances. So Church of Jesus Christ, let's go fly a kite. So I just, I, I've whipped up the, <laughs> I have a series of very humorous things. I don't even know what to call them. They got sent to me in an email probably over 10 years ago. And I keep it in a folder called laughter. And every now and then when I am tooling around and dealing with laughter, I'll click on this file and just laugh. 
And so I'm going to share these with you. I've shared them, I don't know, probably three times throughout different sermons over the years. But I just think these are so funny. And this is the childlike mind brought to it. It's God humor. You really you have to appreciate it. So there was a three-year-old named Reese. I have a, a Reese uh, who's not three, but this is different, a different Reese. And this is what Reese prayed. Our Father, who does art in heaven, Harold is his name. Amen. <laughs> A little boy was overheard praying, Lord, if you can't make me a better boy, don't worry about it. I'm having a real good time like I am. <laughs> After the christening of his baby brother in church, Jason sobbed all the way home in the back seat of the car. His father asked him three times what was wrong. Finally, the boy replied, that preacher said he wanted us brought up in a Christian home and I wanted to stay with you guys. <laughs> A Sunday school teacher asked her children as they were on the way to church, to church service, and why is it necessary to be quiet in church? One bright girl, little girl replied, because people are sleeping. <laughs> a mother was preparing pancakes for her sons, Kevin five and Ryan three. The boys began to argue over who would get the first pancake. Their mother saw the opportunity for a moral lesson. If Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake, I can wait. Kevin turned to his younger brother and said, Ryan, you be Jesus. <laughs> uh. A father was at the beach with his children when the four-year-old son ran up to him, grabbed his hand, and led him to the shore where a seagull lay dead in the sand. Daddy, what happened to him? The son asked. He died and went to heaven. The dad replied, the boy thought a moment and then said, did God throw him back down? <laughs> oh, I like that one. A wife invited some people to dinner. At the table, she turned to their six-year-old daughter and said, would you like to say the blessing? I wouldn't know what to say, the girl replied. Just say what you hear mama say, the wife answered. The daughter bowed her head and said, Lord, why on earth did I invite all these people to dinner? <laughs> oh, some of you are a little too serious about all this. <clears throat> all right, Proverbs 17:22 says, and Mary, and I have, this is the amplified version. So in the parentheses, I'm gonna add some of the other translations of what they say here. A merry or a cheerful or a rejoicing or a joyful heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You see, a merry heart actually strengthens you. It actually brings health to your body. Physical body, it's fact, but also spiritual. And so we are built with two planes or two dimensions to our being. And physically, this strengthens us to have a merry or a cheerful or a rejoicing or a joyful heart. So when you recognize that the devil wants to take out your joy, when you recognize that he wants to steal your cheer, he wants to break down your health. And so as a result, it's a tactical maneuver to deliberately go into cheer mode, which I recognize. For some of us, are like, I have no idea how to do that because I feel like I would be faking it. And I, I get you, okay, I understand that and I don't feel it's supposed to be faked. I feel that the cheer, the rejoicing, the merriness of God is a very real impartation of his Holy Spirit. We get it from him. But a broken spirit dries the bones. 
a broken spirit. I don't know if that's the way we would probably describe what many of us have dealt with, but it's like an agonizing spirit, a, a grief-stricken spirit. Many of us are in a form of agony over the loss of what we look at, look at as the heritage of our nation. We see it being flushed down the toilet and treated with such contempt that to even stand for our heritage is considered anti-American now. And that is like such a weird reality, and it's, it causes grief. It does, and it's the type of grief you would have if you lost a loved one. Because this is, it's a loved one. It's a companion that we have had in our life to carry out our calling that somehow seems to have been stricken, seems to have been murdered. You know, there's this, it's a very real ache. And so I get it why many of us are struggling with this. However, we have to deliberately choose to not allow the devil to steal. This spiritual impartation from our soul, no matter what we are going through, we are commissioned to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to give thanks in all things. Always in all things includes all things, includes every single thing we are going through right now, which means it is a deliberate decision at the soul level to choose to hold on to something instead of let it go. The most common conservative quote of 2020, this is from last week, if this happens, then it's over. Okay, now I had to acknowledge last week that that came out of my mouth too. It's just a very common quote. And you notice that I have this. I'm not going to explain what this is. You could fill in the blank for what this is. And I italicized it. Because it can switch out with various circumstances. Like, well, if this happens, then it's over. That is so contrary to the Word of God. Completely contrary to the Word of God. And so I do not want any of our lips anymore participating in this nonsense. This is the devil's quote. He wants us to think that something's over if, quote unquote, this happens. It doesn't matter what happens. And this is my new quote. And this is, uh, I'm proposing it as uh, my proposed viral quote for 2021. No matter what happens, we have a great future. Fact. No matter what happens, we have a great future. That is a biblical thought in agreement with the kingdom of heaven and what our king has declared in his word. So let's make sure that our words are congruent with his. Proverbs 31.25. So this is where the title of this message comes from. Now I have three different translations for it. First one is the New King James Version. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. So this is speaking about this virtuous woman. And the, the word virtuous is actually going to be a parallel with David and his mighty men. That word for like mighty is actually going to be the same word. So this is a very strong, stout, mighty sort of woman, right? This is, this is the way that God designed not just a woman, but the bride of Christ, if you want to say it that way. This is the bride, and so, strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. What that sounds like is that in the future, she, she will rejoice, okay? And so that's why I'm going to give you some other translations because I feel like the other ones may strike it a little more soundly for our English-speaking understanding. And this is in the ESV. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. You know, that, that sort of gets it, but it makes it look like, you know, in the future, she's laughing at what's ahead, which is good, okay? 
And uh, I like this one too. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. And so what you see in my title is laughing at the future. I'm basically combining the ESV and the NASB version to say, now that's really what I want to say, is we actually have a ha at the days to come. Ha ha at the future. That we are anticipating what in our future? Doom? No. God. You do know that he's in control of tomorrow. And that tomorrow belongs to him. And when we wake up in the morning, we start not by saying, this is the day the devil has made. I'm going to be woeful and be down in it. No, this is the day the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's a deliberate choice of the soul to go up. We do not follow the trajectory of the devil. The devil wants to drive the church into the dirt. It's his goal actually very well articulated throughout the scriptures, that this is exactly what his business is. So why would we allow him to be a counselor to us in such a time as this? Which is one of the reasons why the news is actually somewhat dangerous right now. Because it is not telling you about a positive future, it's telling you about an evil day that you live in right now. And that actually isn't what you need to be meditating upon. You need to have a ha-ha towards the future because our God is in control of it. And our God has given us promise. Our God has given us assurance. Our God has told us he will never leave us nor forsake us. Our God is our refuge and our strength. Therefore, we will not fear. You see, we have solid legal ground to be full of anticipation, expectation, and joy. Solid ground, not wishful thinking, solid legal territory to hold God to his word. Sakak. So this actually is the word used in Proverbs 31. Now, if any of you know the name of the character in the Old Testament whose name means laughter, you're going to notice, and I don't know if you guys remember, it's my next slide, which is uh, Yitzhak. Okay, that's an automatopoeia, which means its meaning and its sound are the same. So it's sort of like uh, his name is Ha-Ha. That would be his name. I don't know how they used to laugh back in ancient you know, Hebrew, but it's like Yitzhak, 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 Yitzhak. It's not the way we laugh, right? But you know, to each his own. Uh, and however, you're gonna see it in this word, Sasak or Sakak. Uh, it's sort of like the sound of laughter. I <laughs> know that's, that's not how we laugh, right? Uh, but it means to laugh to sport. I thought that was a very interesting one because that describes God's humor right there. He's sporting with us. He goes to sleep in the boat and you know, sort of has that one eye open. He's like, so I wonder how they're doing right now. The boat's filling up with water. Uh, they're not doing so good. Uh, and, but he's God has a playful side to him, sort of that poke side to him. If, you, if, if you're a guy, you've probably run into my poke every now and then, you know, where usually when you're carrying something heavy, I have a quote, and I'll walk by and say, do you need me to tickle you? And most people I've noticed say no. Uh, David Coleman does say yes, uh, which then creates sort of an awkwardness. It's like, uh-oh, now am I supposed to tickle him? Uh, but it's, it's sort of my way. So I poke people, and it's a sign of affection. Not girls, okay? I accidentally uh, poked Mia Garcia, who looks like Harper once. So I came, I thought it was Harper, and poked her in the side, and I was mortified. It was, it was terrible. So it has happened. I'm just going to be a full disclosure here. 
However, that little poke is a sign of affection. It's like, hey, I love you. And, uh, and in a sense, I look at that as an animation in this natural realm of how God is with us. That God has affection. He sports with us. He desires to see us smile. Come on, Ludi. You have reason to smile right now. But God, look at all that's happening. Hey, Ludi, look up here. Uh-huh. Look at this. Look at this. I'm almighty. It's all underneath my feet. And you're down in the dumps? Come on. To laugh, to sport, to celebrate with instruments. This is what we're supposed to do towards the future. We look at the future and go, oh, and then to play our, our, our bongos or we, uh, you, know, you know, do our little violin. We, uh, that didn't sound like a violin, did it? We look at our future and it literally activates our celebration muscle with dancing and with singing. Isn't that amazing? To celebrate with song, with instruments, with dancing. This is how we approach our future. There was, in LinkedIn, there was this little video that came in. I never actually, it just sort of started playing when I opened my LinkedIn account. And it said, mom's response to seeing her son pass the bar exam. I don't know if any of you, uh, 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 the others of you got that. Very fascinating, because it was just silent in the background, sort of on my screen. And this son is like covering his mouth. He's nervous as all get out, looking at his computer. I don't know what they were looking at, but it must have been some list of who passed the bar exam. And the mom is just, you know, you can tell, it's just like sweating bullets. This is a big moment, not just for the, the son, but for the mom. And uh, the younger son was over in the back uh, filming all this. And then the son, they got to the page, and the son sees it, covers his mouth, and immediately sort of starts to break down and weep. And the mom, she just starts dancing around. I mean, it is a great, in praising God, it is a great uh, little video. But this is our anticipation. When, when I say, you have tomorrow in this world and you have the opportunity to live for Jesus. And then you're like, do I? As, as someone could come in and say, yeah, but the world's going to hell in a handbasket. But I have the opportunity of living for Jesus, filled with Jesus, to share Jesus with this lost and dying world. He has chosen me. And we do a little jig Give me an instrument, someone. And we start doing whatever we can to praise God because we have the privilege of being in one of these bodies in such a time as this to carry the glory, the power, the majesty, the hope, the love of Jesus with a lost and dying world. Get out of your fog bank, Christians. We have the opportunity to live for Jesus Christ. So, Yitzhak, this is actually God's name for the son in the Old Testament of Abraham. It's a, it's a good story, and it means laughter. I'll just read the story. Genesis 17, 1 through 7. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. Now, stop right there. Who's he talking to? He's talking to a guy named Abram. Great name. You know, it's sort of like noble father, stately father, important man. 
And yet God is going to sort of poke at him here. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. It's like hitting him in his sore spot. Why? Because his wife is barren. They can't have kids. He's 100 years old. And God's sort of poking at him here. You can just sort of see it. It's good old God's sense of humor. And if you know God, you can read into it and go, "Uh uh-huh. He has a good sense of humor here. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. You know what Abraham means? A father of a multitude. It's like, God, don't rub it in. Okay, I don't have any kids. I've got it. Okay, you're making that very clear, but you're going to symbolically make me the father of many nations. Okay? It's like, yeah, right. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I'm a hundred years old. And I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. What? And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. By the way, sorry about the uh, quotation marks in the middle of the quotes. That's because of copy-paste. So it wasn't you know, purposeful. I didn't add them in to try and confuse you. Then God said to Abraham, as, far as, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Now I emphasize this line just because I think it needs to stand out to you. Especially in light of what we're talking about. Abraham has just received the word of God. However, it is so preposterous in light of his current circumstances. His current circumstance basically declares that what he has just heard cannot happen. He's 100 years old, and Sarai, Sarah now, is 90. They are well past the point of being able to have kids. They've been trying their whole life. It's like, God, you're rubbing salt in a wound. And it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, he's trying to hide this, he's saying it in his heart. It's funny that it's in scripture, isn't it? He says in his heart, we know exactly what he said in his heart. Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Genesis 17, 18. Now I lifted this out and stuck it on its own slide just so I could emphasize it. Because we have God's word right now, and it's big, and it's mighty, and it's huge of what God promises, and yet many of us are down in the dumps because we're focused on one thing and we can't seem to get it out of our craw, and that is the Constitution of the United States of America, and who's in the presidency, and what's happening right now in our present uh, condition. God, couldn't you just fix this right here? Abraham has a solution. To all of this, God, you don't need to do anything supernatural. You could just fix this one issue, which is it doesn't need to be from Sarah. It can be from Hagar. It's still of me. Come on, God. Listen to this. And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God, why don't you do it the way that I'm envisioning? I've got this figured out, and I know what would be best. 
And so as a result, he ends up scoffing at God's solution instead of believing it. So his form of laughter is not the God form of laughter, but God's sort of sporting with them here. He knows what's in Abraham's heart. He knows that Abraham needs to grow up in his faith. He recognizes that Abraham doesn't quite see straight. And this is what we're saying too. Now, I, you can put your own words in this, but you have a proposal for God right now too. I've had quite a few over the past couple months. Uh, you would be impressed with some of my proposals too. Some of the things I dreamed up that God could do. Yeah, and God, if you did this, then that would be really good. And I would like laugh. I would laugh at that. That, that would be really good. None of it happened. <laughs> in fact, what has happened is not what I proposed to God. God, couldn't one of my ideas stand before you? Couldn't one of my ideas be chosen? Eric, will you submit to my higher way? Will you submit to my way of doing things? You see, I love this country. I love our constitutional uh, this American experiment. I love this constitutional republic. It is breathtaking to my historical mind and all of history. It stands out as a beacon. And it's really hard in my own generation under my watch to see it just fall to pieces. It's hard. And there's a potential in me and possibly in you to say, God, I have a better way. Couldn't you let this firstborn stand before you? Couldn't you let America's first way of functioning stand before you? What if God's saying, I have something better? Would we be willing to submit to it? By the way, this, what's going to come out is called laughter. I'm just preparing you. It's just a foreshadow. Spoiler alert. Genesis 17, 19. Then God said, no, Sarah, your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. Laughter. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. His answer is no. Your wife shall bear you a son and you shall call his name Isaac. So January of 2021, Abram and Sarai, we'll call them the church symbolically, the global church, are old and barren hidden behind face coverings, standing six feet apart and feebly watching the end of their lineage. Isn't that the way it feels? We are so non-prosperous right now in our evangelistic fervor. We don't know how to reproduce right now, standing six feet apart with masks on. How do you evangelize a lost and dying world? They're dying, they're lost, and they need hope right now. And we sense it, but we don't know how to reach them with our current climate. Some churches have not met since mid-March of last year. That doesn't make for a robust church. We have Abraham's, Abram, who's 100, and Sarai, who's 90. You know, you're not going to have a lot of good stuff coming out of that, right? I mean, come on. This is ridiculous. And God says, boy, do I have a future and a hope for you. And we look at the raw materials, and we're like, God, I don't know how that's going to happen. And we laugh. You even hold in derision. It's like, Eric, boy, I know you're a positive thinker. And you really like things to, you know, always turn out good. But, you know, sometimes it's just not good news. You need to accept that, Eric. Or do I? You see, I believe that there's a future and a hope right now. I believe that something better lies ahead. Because God is in control. And by the way, in, up ahead is heaven. 
And so that has to be better than this. Anyways, no matter what, even if it does get more challenging practically for all of us, something great is up ahead. So here we are, we're, we're Abram and Sarai, and we're old and barren, hidden behind face covering, standing six feet apart, and feebly watching the end of our lineage. So here's our pleading. Oh, that the Constitution might be our deliverer, and that peace and prosperity might continue in our lives. It's the old Ishmael request. And yet Ishmael is a work of man. It doesn't mean it's bad. It's a work of man. It's just not God's righteousness. It's not God's working. It's God's working that we must celebrate. And so in our own natural man, our firstborn self, God says, you can't save yourself. You must be born again. To be born again, you need God to work for you, which is the whole Ishmael-Isaac illustration. Ishmael, self-effort. Abraham did this in his own cunning, his own ingenuity. I can solve this dilemma. And God says, that can't stand before me. Well, God, what will stand before you? Let me solve the dilemma. Let me do it supernaturally. So, in our system of government right now, our nation, we have different things where we have looked to Ishmael solutions. God, could you please use man to do this? And maybe it's accurate to state right about now that God's answer is, no, I'm gonna do something. Are we okay with that? If we catch God's sense of humor, I mean, what were they doing when he was asleep in the boat? Jesus, wake up and help us bail water. And he's basically saying, no, I'm gonna do something much bigger. See, any man could do that. I'm gonna do something that only God could do. Peace be still, and the winds and the waves ceased. Who do we serve? Let's remember that right now. So God's answer, no, I have something much better. So here's our Proverbs 31, 25 in our three different translations. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall ha-ha in time to come. Strength and dignity are her clothing. She shall laugh at the times to come. She laughs at the times to come. And then strength and dignity are her clothing. She smiles at the future. I just want you to take an inventory of your soul and the question is, are you smiling and laughing at the days to come? Are you? I mean, you can, for my sake, you say, oh, sure, amen, Eric. But that's actually, I just want you to make a conscious decision within your soul. And right now you're like, it's just too heavy, I can't. That's because you're taking the devil's input and figuring it into your future. The devil always wants to slip in all sorts of things. Like, oh, this is going to happen. Yep, if you follow that trajectory, it's going to end up there. Trajectory. Many of us are making decisions right now based on trajectory. Who's giving you the input for trajectory? Well, the news. I mean, where else did you expect me to get it, Eric? Well, how about from the Word of God? What does the Word of God say about your trajectory? about those who hope in him, those who have faith in him, those who call upon his name, those who humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wickedness. What does it say about their trajectory? So as a result, the idea of foreboding is forecasting or fortune-telling your future based on the devil's input. Well, the devil told me this. That means if I head in this direction, this is gonna happen. That's foreboding. 
It's like witchcraft. It's messing with evil. What we do is we believe. What do we believe? The word of God on the matter. What's in your future? A lot of laughter. God supernaturally works on behalf of those that believe. Church, we have an Isaac in our future. Yes, it's impossible, but that's God's sense of humor. We scoff at his plans and he scoffs at our unbelief. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. That's a fact. Psalm 31, 24, Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. I'm going to read it again. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. You see, hope is an effect or a residual impact point within our life of believing that God is who he says he is. If he really is in control, then we always have hope, and hope can never be taken away from us any more than joy can. Hope is a constant in our life. It never departs unless we give it up. Despair is giving up hope. Despair is allowing the devil to define your future. Hope is allowing God to define your future. He's God. Paul's secret to happiness. Okay, guys, this is good. And I know you've all read this before. In fact, you've probably memorized it. However, I want you to listen to it afresh. Paul is in prison. His life is hard. Practically speaking, the church, the, the persecution against the church is massive. Paul himself has gone through every trial and travesty and difficulty you can imagine. What sort of attitude should this guy have? He's in a prison cell. What does he have to look forward to in life? More of that. More persecution, more suffering. I mean, come on, how could there be any hope in this guy's life? And yet, in that prison cell, what does he write to the church? He's giving them the secret, which is us. He's giving us his secret. Rejoice in the Lord always. And just in case we missed it, he's going to add this line. And again, I will say, rejoice. Isn't that an amazing command? What are you supposed to do right now? Rejoice. Now, Paul's circumstance is actually a lot darker than ours right now. His future, according to the natural news service of, of Rome, was not positive. It wasn't feeding him a lot of positive input about one day in the future, Christianity will be set free and will be legalized. He doesn't have any of that. He doesn't have any positive input, but he has God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see, this passage actually comes to life when you're going through your own prison cell. It's an amazing thought to think that the peace of God could guard, could govern your heart in the midst of such circumstances. 
But if you're rejoicing, and if you're not allowing anxiety in, there's something else that can rule in there, and that's the peace of God. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there was any virtue, if there was anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul is giving us a very practical battle plan. What is your mind meditating on? What are you thinking on? First of all, are you rejoicing? Always. Are you anxious for anything? What are you meditating upon? What are you thinking upon during the day? You must have a guard up to maintain the integrity of your inner man. Do not give up your joy. Do not give up your hope. You hold tightly to that which is true, that which is noble, that which is just, that which is pure, that which is lovely, that which is of good report, that which is virtuous, and that which is praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. You know what that word meditate actually is? It's logizomai. So any of you that have been taught here at Ellerslie should remember logizomai. That's Romans 6. That's translated as reckon. This is the word for reckon. It's almost like, you know that true thing that you're thinking about? Take it. It belongs to you. You know that noble idea? Uh-huh. That's for you as a child of God. Put it in your account. Take these realities. Make them yours. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's the reality of God's kingdom impacting the lives of those that believe in him. Father, I pray that there would be a laugh inside of each of us. And Lord Jesus, that we would see that your promise of an Isaac is a very, very real thing. And that you delight in the impossible territory. Lord, that your desire and your first instinct is not to take our Ishmaelic ideas and steer them towards some kind of positive end, but that you would take your ideas that seem so impossible to us down here and that you would accomplish them in this natural realm because then you get the glory. So Lord Jesus, we want to laugh with you. We want to sing and celebrate and play our instruments with you as we stare at a future that is inhabited by the king of the universe. You not only won at the cross and finished the work, but you are still winning today. And though this natural realm may try and boast that it has the upper hand, we know the truth for we are believers in your word. And we celebrate today because of it. This is the day the Lord has made. We, the church of Jesus Christ, will rejoice and be glad in it. It's in the great name of Jesus that we pray this. Amen. This message was brought to you by the team at Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Listen to our weekend message live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings, or join us for Daily Thunder Monday through Friday at 8.15 a.m. For more information, go to live.ellersley.com. We invite you to visit us at the beautiful Ellersley campus in Windsor, Colorado for a day, a week, or an entire season of gospel-centered spiritual training. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening.